1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Well, this is the 20th episode, and as I toyed around with back in the 10th episode, uh, I'm going to continue to do listener and reader feedback every 10 episodes. So you can dial it in that 10 weeks from now, 20 weeks from now, 140 weeks from now, I will be interacting with comments I get on the podcast and on the website. And most of my feedback uh, is on uh, the website with the articles I write. Um, And a quick note, if you do want to comment on anything you hear, whether you're listening through Stitcher or um, iTunes podcasts or Radio Public or even just the web browser, do feel free to comment at castingacross.com. That is really the only place I check. I know that you can leave comments all over the internet, um, but uh, castingacross.com is the place where if you want to leave feedback, whether it be positive or negative, if it's really negative, shoot me an email. We can talk about it. Why have I angered you so much? But leave your feedback at castingacross.com, and I and everyone else will have a chance to see it. So anyway, my first uh, feedback that I wanted to read today is from Dino. Dino fly fishes in Virginia, it looks like, and he is writing in response to an article I wrote called I Heard About This Spot. And this post, I heard about this spot, was about a chance encounter I had with somebody at the fly fishing show in New Jersey uh, back in January. And uh, he told me about a place that is incredibly close to me, is incredibly urban, uh, but incredibly probably holds a native population of brook trout. And so I got all jazzed up, and uh, it just all of these thoughts were going through my head about uh, not just is it a possibility, but how can I get there, and how can I uh, get there if, uh, if if there is a lot of people watching, and can I be sneaky, and all those sorts of things. So uh, this is what Dino says. He says, I've been fly fishing for 13 years, and I've always been curious about this unwritten fly fishing rule. That is 
keeping spots secret. There are really not that many secret streams left, as most can be found in any Shenandoah National Park or George Washington National Forest map, and many are described in several books by prominent local fly fishing gurus. The streams I frequent most are brookie streams in the park and on public land in George Washington National Forest. Rarely do I encounter another fly fisherman, and if I do, I'm not offended. It's a good opportunity for fellowship. What does annoy me are obnoxious day hikers with unruly dogs and locals who like to camp right next to the stream, cooking hot dogs on the campfire and tossing their empty beer cans into the water. With all that said, I'm not in any way reluctant to share my fishing locations with fellow fly fishermen because generally they are looking for what I am, fairly pristine locations and that hold native brook trout. Well, thank you very much, Gina, for the feedback. Uh, I'm kind of split on this. I certainly get what he is saying when it comes to those popular streams. Whether you're in New England or out west or in the mid-Atlantic like Dino is, um, no matter where you are, there are some spots that everybody knows are productive. And interestingly enough, they're still productive even though everybody knows about them. That says something either about the nature of the fishery or the nature of the fisheries management for that water. And so I would heartily agree if it is a very prominent spot, if this is a premier fly fishing destination, there is absolutely no reason to be sneaky about things. If you if Stream X is the most popular stream in an area, you don't have to shy away from saying you're going to fish Stream X. Now, here's the caveat of that. If there's a popular stretch of water, the easy access, maybe the fly fishing only catch and release area, and, and that's the part of the stream everybody knows about, but you find a lot of success either upstream or downstream uh, or in a place that doesn't make a lot of sense, like behind the used tire dealership or something like that, then I don't think that you need to divulge all that information. Um, but I wouldn't shy away from saying, yeah, I'm going to you know stream X or river whatever and letting somebody know. Uh, but it's always a balancing act. You know, what is it worth? If, if someone's asking you on a message board that hundreds of people are reading, then uh, you can probably act a little bit more sneakily. But if it's, you know, your neighbor who doesn't fly fish, then why not strike up that conversation? It's certainly a balancing act. The other side of the coin is if you are fishing someplace that is incredibly off the radar. The creek that I talked about in the post and the I heard about this spot article I wrote is not someplace you'd expect to fish. Looking at an aerial map, it doesn't even look like there's water. Driving by it, it, it looks like a, a drainage ditch behind um, some industrial you know, parks. So if I do find brook trout here, I'm probably not gonna advertise it on Instagram or on the website. It really is an off beaten path spot. I, I have no delusions that I'm the only person that knows about it but there's a very good chance there's a very few amount of people that know about it. So when it comes to a situation like that, I'm not going to broadcast it and say, eh, you know what, if it gets fished, it gets fished. I probably am, not to be selfish, but because it looks like an incredibly fragile and small resource, I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm not going to feel bad about it. And if somebody asks me, where is it? I'll probably say it's within these parameters uh, just to uh, at least not come across as being so selfish. But that's always something that I think you have to think about when it comes to divulging where you fish. You can do it in good conscience, 
without going into specifics, I would say this is probably a good rule of thumb. And it's always, you know, what's more important, the stream or the person? And if there's somebody that uh, matters to you in fly fishing and in friendship, then uh, you probably want to divulge a little bit more. But that's certainly up to your own convictions. The second feedback that I want to share today is from a post I wrote a few weeks ago called Foundations in Fly Fishing. And in it, I really talked about, almost like what I was just saying, people being way more important than fish and fly fishing. And uh, in that post, I even said that you can't really derive ultimate meaning from fish. Sometimes we put a lot of meaning on fish, a lot of meaning on the pursuit of fish, and I get that. But at the end of the day, it's um, really about uh, people. Uh, so anyway, this is from Ralph, and I don't want to read Ralph's whole post. It's, it's, it's really good, and there's a lot that he, he says, but he says this in the middle of it. He says, um, I've also wondered how you manage the time you appear to spend on interacting with the sport through your blog, podcasts, association activities, fishing, gear reviews, etc., against the demands of your ministry and family. It's not a criticism, more of an expression of admiration. Thanks for sharing some valuable thoughts. They're worth more reflection for understanding how to become a better person with better angling abilities. That's from Ralph from New Hampshire. So I share that not to kind of brag about what he's saying about me balancing stuff because honestly, I think that's very important to realize. It's about prioritization. And I've written before and I've spoken before about how what I do with casting across is in my margin time. You know, I decided years ago when I began the website and everything that was associated with it that I was going to cut out some of the other things I was doing to fill my downtime. So I'm not reading as much fiction as I used to. I'm not missing it that much. I'm not watching as much TV as I used to. I'm also not missing that that much. Um, I'm not just spending a lot of time goofing around with things that uh, don't have a lot of value. All of that time kind of gets lumped together and put into casting across. So I would say that's that's how I balance it. And if things ever start to get out of whack, if if my job, which is ministry, or uh, my education, I, I'm a perpetual grad school student, um, or uh, my family, certainly, at the top of that list, if any of those things begin to suffer. And I would even say, if my fly fishing suffers because of casting across, that's when I would need to reevaluate and reprioritize. So... I think that's important for everybody, not just as a response to uh, kind of Ralph's comments and questions, but for everyone to realize, like, we can have these things that are good, that are fun, that are um, hobbies, pastimes, or even kind of on-the-side gigs, but we only benefit from them when they are serving to benefit um, the other things that we do that are more important, whether that be vocation, family, or, um, or other relationships. So that's that's what I would have to say about, um, about how I balance. It's really just putting things in the margins. The third bit of feedback is actually, um, it's too much to even read because I was swarmed after I wrote an article about um, the fly fishing podcasts that are worth listening to. This is actually the 10th in a series of articles like that and I committed a gross sin. I uh, I neglected to include Taylor Trash fly fishing. And my goodness, their fan base let me hear it. I'm scrolling through um, the comments. Taylor Trash is a great one. Needs to make the list. Um, uh, you need to listen to Taylor Trash. Um, listen to four episodes or else. 
Um, they are huge. I heard a lot of that. They're huge. Learn about grape jelly and sticking pigs. Taylor Trash is what's up. Now, I will say, and a lot of folks misspelled it, which gives me a little bit of pause as to how huge of fans they are if they keep calling it Trailer Trash when uh, it was very uh, quickly um, seen that it's Taylor ta- Trash to, you know, make the, the playoff of tailing fish and, you know, the trailer park and all that sort of stuff. So I would like all of their fans and the good gentlemen at Taylor Trash to know that I am many, many episodes into their podcast. I've made it part of my regular rotation. So what I'd like to say about Taylor Trash is that it is like sitting around the fly tying table or sitting around the boat dock or sitting around the fly shop and listening and you know maybe living vicariously through their conversation. At the same time, I have no clue about half the stuff they're talking about. I'm primarily a trout guy from like the Northeast, and they're talking about skiffs. And I feel like I have to Google a lot of things they say. It's one of those things where I don't want to repeat them because I might sound like an idiot because I don't know half of the terminology they're using. I've only fished in Florida a few times, so I kind of find it fascinating. Like, what in the world is all this stuff that they're doing? That being said, they really have a good down-to-earth pulse on the fly fishing kind of industry and culture and just listening to them I know they'd probably think that that's like a ridiculous thing to to say but it for whatever it's worth they have a good pulse on on kind of what's going on in fly fishing so it's certainly worth listening to it it's it's uh, the old not safe for work um and it's on the other end of the podcast spectrum from kind of what I do I mean I talk 15 to 20 minutes about how to do a thing or maybe a little bit of a attempt at humor about something. And these guys are just uh, chatting away with each other. Um, really, it, it seems like on the surface that they're just talking, but they get into fly fishing issues. They get into conservation issues. They get into cuisine reviews. That's a very highbrow way of, of saying it. Um, and most of all, they kind of, you, you see that camaraderie that they have with each other, which is really cool. Again, you know, the tone and tenor of that podcast makes my quote unquote review of it seem a little bit um, over the top, and they would probably uh, laugh at that. But uh, I, I appreciate it, and I appreciate them, and I've actually talked to them um, online um, since uh, they sicked their minions on me, and uh, we had a, a laugh about that. And I'm looking forward to talking to them again in the future and to listening to um, the rest of their back catalog. So again, that is a little bit of feedback from the last few weeks. Again, feel free to comment on any post on castingacross.com or any podcast that you listen to in your favorite listening app on castingacross.com. Something new that I wanted to do uh, in this 20th episode of the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast is to just give an update on what was on Casting Across this week. Because again, as I've said before, uh, the podcast is good, but I think my writing is really where it's at. That's what I enjoy doing the most. That's what I put even more time into. So don't feel like you're getting slighted if you're just listening. But know that what I write about is kind of my my bread and butter. So the two articles that were posted this week, the first one was called Fly Shop Lost. And this is a little bit of a narrative about a fly shop that I grew up going to that was very, very simple, but at the same time very profound for making me the fly fisher that I am today and also um, building my perspective on what a fly shop is and uh, 
it's not there anymore. And so that's a little bit about that article. The second one is called Seriously, Fly Fishing Socks. Um, there's really no good way to title this article, and there's no good picture of it because it's a pile of socks. So I kind of arranged some socks in my sock drawer, but uh, this is one of those just no-brainer things we don't talk about. We spend thousands of dollars on rods, hundreds and hundreds of dollars on waders and wading boots, and then sometimes we just throw on our regular white gym socks, and we wonder why our feet are sweaty and why our feet hurt. Well, a good pair of socks, which might cost more than $10 or $15, can make a world of difference. So I kind of go into uh, detail on what to look for in a pair of fly fishing socks in the article called Seriously, Fly Fishing Socks. Both of those articles, as well as years and years of uh, back catalog, can be found at castingacross.com. The recommendation this week is for Rio TV. You're probably familiar with Rio. Rio products are primarily fly line and leader and tippet. And uh, I've been fishing with one of their lines. I'll probably talk about um, in one of the uh, next episodes. I've really enjoyed um, for small creek fishing. But I wanted to talk today and recommend their um, video series. They have a whole video library. So if you go to rioproducts.com and you go to uh, learn, they have um, under Make the Connection in the drop down menu, they have Rio TV. And there's a number of seasons um, that are up there, and they cover all sorts of different topics. But just in the last uh, few weeks, they have um, talked about uh, avoiding tingles uh, in your rod, uh, casting underneath obstacles, cleaning your fly line, attaching a tippet ring. So some of the things are very uh what we would consider common sense if you've been fishing for a long time, but if you're a new angler, seeing them done and seeing them done well. I mean, there's something to be said for a cameraman who knows how to get the right perspective on someone tying a knot on a tippet ring. It might sound little, but something like that matters if you've never done it before. And Rio does a good job. But again, there's all sorts of um, different topics. There are uh, saltwater, freshwater, spay, there's product videos, which again, you know, certainly that's a that's a, a sales pitch, but um, it lets you know what's special about Rio products. Um, but there's also uh, all sorts of just general fly fishing knowledge that Rio is sharing and is doing a very good job of it. So definitely check them out. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. 
this is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.